This sermon, Praise the Lord, was preached on Sunday, September 3rd by Pastor Tom Wilkins at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. If I could have you stand with me. And if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 150. This is the last psalm of the book of Psalms. So far over the last three months, we have been in 14 different psalms leading up to this one, the 15th one. And today's Psalm 150 wraps up the series that Derek has and our team has been referring to as Volume 1, meaning we're going to go right back into the psalms again next year as we get to Volume 2. Without waiting any further, let's read together Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the sounding cymbals. Praise Him with the loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, in your great kindness, you have gathered us today, and you have gathered us around your word that you have spoken long ago that speaks loud and clear and is alive and at work even now in our gathering. There is no coincidence that Psalm 150 falls today. Ultimately, it wasn't according to our plan as pastors in this church. In your providence, we hear your voice speak to us about your praise. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would manifest yourself in an active way in every person here. Lord, encourage your church towards your praise. Lord, be merciful and save any person present toward your praise. Holy Spirit, my next request is really our ultimate request. Magnify the Son of God, the King of Kings, Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, receive our affection and our joy and our gratitude. We praise you, Jesus. And so in your name, we praise and we pray. Amen. Amen. A 19th century pastor 
a nonconformist pastor in England, meaning one of those pastors and churches that did not follow the Church of England. He's trusted by Charles Spurgeon, quoted by Charles Spurgeon regarding this particular Psalm 150. His name is John Pulsford, and he writes this. Each of the last five psalms begins and ends with praise the Lord. And each psalm increases in praise, love, and joy until the last, which is praise celebrating its ecstasy. The heir of God becomes eaten up with the love of God. He begins every sentence with praise the Lord. And his sentences are very short, for he is in haste to utter his next praise the Lord and his next, and his next. He is as one out of breath with enthusiasm, or as one on tiptoe in the act of rising from earth to heaven. It is though the soul gave utterance to its whole life and feeling in these words. Imperative after imperative. We have here in Psalm 150, call after call after call. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise Him, praise Him, praise the Lord. In just six verses, we have 13 times praise the Lord. And this is on the heels of the last four books. This fifth book, if you go back and look at 146 through 150, every book leading up to this one begins with that word, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Praise the Lord is the last word in each of those books as it builds towards really what all of the psalms have been building towards in this Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. If you would look with me at the text, it's easy, it's usually on one page. It's in four sections or four points it falls in. Number one in verse one is where. Where will we praise Him? Number two in verse two is why we praise Him. The reason why we praise Him. And then verses three through five provides for us the how. How will we praise Him? What has He called us to do? How? And finally in verse six we have the who. Who is called to praise Him? Who is this imperative intended for? Well, number one, where? are we to praise him? Read with me again verse 1. Where are we to praise him? Praise the Lord. The answer in two words, praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And we have the combination of this in his sanctuary and in the mighty heavens for a reason. Particularly in his sanctuary. Let's consider that just for a moment. The use of these words by the psalmist in the presence of his holiness on earth is really what this is referring to. Certainly the temple, the Old Testament temple where God's holiness resided in the holy of holies. He's saying the psalmist writes, praise him there. Absolutely, praise him there. But there is this sense that it is actually praise him in his sanctuary in the temple, but praise him throughout the earth, meaning he has come to abide with his people. Praise him there, wherever he is in creation on this planet, if I could say that, if God is ever on anything, 
Praise Him there, the psalmist writes. Yes, sanctuary, temple, the holy of holies. Praise Him there. Every original Hebrew would have heard, yes, praise Him there. That would have gone without saying in a way. But it needed to be said. But it is said with this sense of urgency as we've been building through this whole book of Psalms. Praise Him right where we are. I remember message after message after message through the series. Praise Him no matter where you find yourself. Praise Him there in his sanctuary his holiness is revealed on the earth praise him here but we now have this second place it's also in verse one that we would praise him in his mighty heavens use of the words firmament or expanse does that ring a bell out of genesis in creation Praise Him in His mighty heavens, referring to that created area above the earth. Certainly, and the Scriptures refer to them as the heavens. Praise Him there, but there is this mighty attached to it. The mighty heavens, meaning that firmament above the earth, all pointing and describing those heavens, yes, but those heavens that are mighty. I love what Kidner and Spurgeon, I'm taking two old guys, well, one old guy and one guy who's probably still with us, the songwriter here in the Psalms calls us to praise God in what Kidner would call the vault of heaven. What a great, beautiful, whatever we could summarize or gather together about heaven, praise him there. Yes, on the earth, in his sanctuary, but praise God in his heavens. Like that opening quote, as if rising from earth to heaven, praise him. And Spurgeon using that phrase, the firmament of his power, his mighty heavens, not just the firmament, but his mighty heavens, his mighty firmament. Let those guys preach that to us. The combination of in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens, it proclaims an amazing great truth of the doctrine of God as revealed in particular in the omnipresence of God. We remember David saying in that psalm, if I go to the depths of the earth, you're there. If I go to the heights of the firmament, you're there. The omnipresence of God is clearly implied in this text. Sometimes the implication must be preached as the explicit rendering of the text as well. Here on earth, where he is, and in the heavens, where he is. The songwriter, the psalter, we could call him that, the psalmist writing much in this one verse about the doctrine of God. He is fully present everywhere. Praise Him there. There is no place on earth that He's not praise Him there. There is no place in that mighty heavens above. He is there. Praise Him there. He is everywhere present, so therefore praise Him there. So we're answering the question in this point, where are we to praise him? The answer is straight on and straight up everywhere. Praise him everywhere for he is there. There is no place that we could go that he's not there. Think about your own life. Where, where would you go and not find God there? Well, you could praise him there. Where would we find ourselves on this planet? Well, we could certainly go there. We could go at work, on the job, in the warehouse, and praise Him there. We could go to the ER, 
And he's there. We could praise him there. On the hospital bed ourselves, praise him there. In the wing of the morgue, praise him there. There is no place on earth that we should or maybe even should never praise him. Praise him there. Where are you? Praise him there. Where have you been? Did you praise him there? Where might you find yourself? Praise him there. Oh, let's get caught up just for a minute into the heavens, those clouds when our glorious Savior returns in that firmament, the clouds are going to peel back, as it were, the curtain of heaven and the Savior appear. Praise him there. As you and I step probably our barefoot, I don't know, but probably our barefoot on the warm and cold, depending on which one you're needing, <laughs> on the golden bricks of the roads in heaven. Praise him there. In the presence of the angels, hearing them, what an amazing place that will be. Praise him there. At the feet of him in heaven on the throne. Praise him there. Go there and praise him. He is here. He is there. Praise him there. Where are we going to go to praise the Lord everywhere? Praise the Lord. That's point one. Point two, now we find ourselves getting to the why in verse two. Let's read together verse two. Yes, praise the Lord in the sanctuary. Praise the Lord in his mighty heavens in verse one. But now in verse two, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Thank God for adjectives describing, yes, it's sufficient deeds the Lord has done, but in particular, his mighty deeds. Oh, his greatness, it is great. <laughs> I can't imagine how we make the word great better, but we do have the psalmist telling us in his excellent greatness. So here we have his mighty deeds. Why? Why are we to praise him? Well, we're to praise him for all that he has done. Praise him for all that he has done and for who he is. And what has he done? These are his mighty deeds referred to in verse 2. His mighty deeds in particular have this emphasis. It's not, it includes all his deeds. But in particular, his saving deeds. These words in the original language, what we've been building towards from Psalm points us to this. We know as we take the New Testament as our filter on the Old Testament, actually as a lens on the Old Testament, we see, well, what are his mighty deeds? His mighty deeds to save. Well, the Old Testament people certainly would be able to taste of his mighty deeds to save. Yes, all his ongoing deeds, but these in particular, his amazing, miraculous deeds, yes, but these in particular, those that he moved divinely and specially to save. They're never-ending, but in particular, those original recipients would have quickly gone in their minds to, well, he saved us from the flood. He was our ark of salvation. 
He set us free from the slavery in Egypt. His mighty deeds were numerous in the plagues. Time and time again, the Lord would reveal His mighty deeds, but not just so the fact that we would say His deeds are mighty. His mighty deeds to show His mercy and His salvation and His rescue. And they would have quickly remembered, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I set you free from the slavery and your bondage. They would have remembered his mighty deeds of the pillar of smoke, the pillar of fire. I would have loved to have seen that. The internet is insufficient. AI is insufficient to create that for us. Can you imagine being led day by day by his mighty deeds, but not just generally led, led to save. Going before us to save. Reason after reason to recount his mighty deeds. They and you and I are called to, well, praise him. Praise him. We get to this part in verse 2, according to his excellent greatness. His excellent greatness equals his sovereign reign over everything. It is certainly his greatness, but also his sovereign reign over everything. Where are we to go to worship? Everywhere we can worship. We're called to worship him everywhere. How? In every place and with everything we're going to discover. The songwriter's continued writing of the doctrine of God now explodes into the thing, the glory of God himself what has he saved you from and now let me re ask the question how in the world was he able to save you by his excellent greatness he is sovereign even over your unwilling heart, over my unwilling heart, in my rebellion in the darkness, he came and saved us. There is this truth about the Old Testament that we would marvel, and the people of God would marvel about um, God and his saving of them. And there was a pattern. And that pattern was, is they would stop doing what they were doing and praise him. They would stop and worship him. At each great moment of salvation where God had revealed his might, his mighty deeds, they would stop and worship God as if refusing to go on without giving him glory for what he had just done. Why would they stop? Why would they just keep moving? Passing through the Red Sea, they stopped and worshiped. Time and time again, they would stop and celebrate God's faithfulness, His salvation, His provision, passing over the River Jordan, which doesn't seem like a big deal to me. I grew up next to the Rio Grande. In the El Paso area, it's actually better called the Rio Chiquito. <laughs> it's no longer the Rio Grande. Once it gets to El Paso, they've peeled all the water off. The water stacking up on both sides of the Jordan. Hundreds of thousands of people, maybe a million, pouring across the river. What did they do? They stopped and they praised him. Scripture says they stopped and they built an altar with 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. What are they doing? They are memorializing God's faithful, excellent greatness revealed in his mighty deeds to save them. 
they stopped and glorified God. You and I, we have a greater reason to stop and to glorify Him. All of the mighty deeds of the great God, they were types, all those revealed in the Old Testament were types of the greatest move of His mighty deeds that will ever be revealed in the history that we're aware of. Jesus giving Him, coming and giving Himself on the cross. The mightiest deeds that God has done for you and I. There is no greater place for us to stop and to worship. And so in that sense, you and I are called to stop in verse 2, that we would stop and praise Him. We would linger and not move on ever from the cross. Glorious gospel is the greatest news of all times in all the world and in heaven as our promised one Jesus came and laid down his life for us. So in a sense, he has made us ready to praise. Certainly we could go back and look at his mighty deeds, but now a new thing has occurred in the believer's life. He's made us ready and able and willing and moves us towards worship of him. We now get to turn on this side, if we could say, on this side of the Jordan, the cross of Christ, and say, before we say anything else, thank you for Jesus, the Savior. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to save. Thank you for your mighty acts of salvation in Him. Thank you for your mercy that is in Christ. Thank you for sending Christ to receive all my sin upon Himself, Lord. Thank you that you've taken my sin and transferred it to your son. Thank you that you, Jesus, thank you that you died the death I deserved, carrying the burden I should have carried. You carried that burden to the grave. Thank you. Thank you that you rose again on the third day and didn't leave us languishing in some dead religion. You are alive and well. Thank you for your life, Jesus. We get to worship him in his resurrection. We get to praise him in his glorification as he sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all that he had ruled before, the creation that he had created before, now finally given to him the Son of God, who had laid down his life as the Lamb for you and I. Praise him for that, as if rising up from earth to heaven, we say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for saving us. You may be present this morning. You need to stop. Turn away from your sin is what the scriptures would say. Repent before Christ. Stop and believe in Christ. There is no better reason to stop other than to know if you keep going without repentance and without believing in Christ, you will receive, you will receive God's wrath, but you are given an opportunity. God has come. He has come in the flesh in Christ and has made a way for you to stop and to turn away from worship of self and worship of this world and believe in Christ. Believe in Christ even now. There's no better place than right here, right now. Believe in Christ. Maybe we can describe it. Your first act of hallelujah, your first act of praising God is that you would turn and say, God, forgive me. 
forgive me. And for the first time, your heart would call out to the Lord and say, I believe your son is your son. What a great praise the Lord. Where are we to praise him? We're to praise him everywhere. Why are we to praise him? We're to praise him for what he has done and for who he is. And the psalmist is not yet done, and now he takes us to the how. How are we going to praise him? Look, I'm ready to stop the message now. But the psalmist was not ready to stop the message yet. He wasn't. Think about all that he has said, all of the reasons throughout Psalm 1 through 49, of all of the reasons in the psalmist. I've got one more thing to say. Actually, if you look at it, there's like a million things he's saying in this text. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Well, in verses 3 through 5, read with me. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the sounding cymbals. Praise him with the loud crashing cymbals. How are we to praise him? The psalmist tells us how. This is a super noisy answer. We get to Psalm 150. This verse is extremely noisy. If you were one of the Hebrews at the time, it's like, this is serious. This is, this is loud And maybe for some it feels obnoxious, but it's not because of the object of where this noise is being pointed. Look again at verse 1 and 2. Before we go on any further on how, often we're wondering how. How am I going to do this? Are you going to make me stand and make me raise my hands? I won't. Derek might. I won't. (laughs) Are you going to (laughs) dance? We'll have Tim lead you in that one. Here's why. He saved us. Where? Marvel at him. Praise him. Everywhere. But here's how. Praising him, in a sense, here's the point. With everything that he has given us to praise him. So you're a songwriter. You're a band guy. You are a orchestra leader. I'm sorry, I'm not one of them. Can you tell in my description? You would get this. He points to every section of the orchestra and says, praise him with that, and praise him with that, and praise him with that, and praise him with that. I'm from the 80s. That's like four things on the stage. Drums, guitar, guitar. Okay, five. I mean, we don't have much other than loud subwoofers. That's all we've got. Praise him with that. Praise him with that. The sense of the text is the listing of the instruments is not intended simply for us to grab those instruments and drop them in our shopping cart out on Sweetwater. They get a little plug. So that we would build the right band. In other words, do it with these instruments because this is the correct way to do it so that you have the right band. This is what we get caught up in, don't we? No, this is what the text is saying. All of these instruments represent that whole. How are we to praise him? With everything God has given us for this purpose, nothing is to be left out of the things that God has given us to worship him. 
The whole orchestra and band are to worship God. He's saying, fire up the band. Get it all loud. You probably walked in this morning and thought, what in the world have they done to the sound system? There was a gentle encouragement to the sound team and the band. Let's, let's crank this up. Brett, thanks for doing that. I'm up here right next to this loudspeaker. I love it. My right ear is deaf from the speakers of my old Camaro that Derek makes fun of. Fire up the band. Raise the volume. Include it all to praise the Lord. Yes, the individual instruments as well as the loud blaring and clashing ones all together at once praising God. Yes, the scripture certainly includes that private moment with the lute. I, I looked up a lute. That does not seem like a worship instrument to me because I, I tend to want to get loud and noisy with my worship anyway. Um, I'm okay with a little bit slower, quieter songs. I love to study without words blaring them because I can't think with words. Ask Lisa. But a lute? I'm like, I don't get that one. Crashing cymbals? I get that one. Um, I think it's safe to say, if we could understand the different parts of the orchestra, it's got everyone in this room covered. There's not one person in this room. It's like, well, actually, my style and my type is not included. No, it's all included. What a hopeful picture for us. If you don't like our style of worship, heaven's going to have your style. But here's the point. This is God's style of worship. Fire it all up and aim it at me and praise me, for I have brought you out of Egypt. Fire it all up and aim it at me, for I have saved you from your sins. Don't hold anything back. Praise him loudly with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute, the harp, the tambourine, the dance. Yes, the dance. Include the dance and strings and pipe with sounding cymbals. And if we weren't getting the message, loud crashing cymbals. Yes, that's the tapping of the side hat. Is that what that's called? And the smashing of the big crash cymbal next to us. Thank you, John. I think we should take the top off of this. The sense of the text is praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Blasting trumpets, adding riffs on the lutes or harps, um, adding the hammering and ringing of the tambourine, the shuffling and hopping and leaping and spinning and dance. Add that too. Um, strumming more strings and more strings, adding smashing, crashing, gonging cymbals. Yes, there is the place for the quiet, quiet individual piano. There is the place for the guitar, yes. But by the time we get to Psalm 150, the Lord says, fire it all up. I love what C.S. Lewis writes. C.S. Lewis writes this. It has all the cheerful spontaneity of a natural, even physical desire. They are glad and rejoice. Their fingers itch for the harp, for the lute, for the harp. Wake up, lute and harp. Let's have song. Bring the tambourine. We're going to sing merrily and make a cheerful noise. Noise, you may well say, mere music, not enough. Let us have crashing cymbals, not only well-tuned, but loud and dances too. Meaning, everyone gets to jump in on this band if you're even not good. I love what C.S. Lewis is doing C.S. Lewis is, in a sense, trying to set our feet and our minds and our hearts and our love free for Christ, seeking to do what the psalmist has been already doing. 
Psalm after psalm after psalm, discovering not mere music. Of all things, you would think songs would teach us to sing. They do. They teach us to be noisy. You can't carry a tune in a bucket. I remember my dad saying that. That boy can't carry a tune in a bucket, meaning pull the bucket over your head and sing. You'd be able to hear yourself. I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Yes. There is, maybe it's the firmament. By the time you belt out something out of tune and it gets to the ears of God, it's in harmony with the rest of the saints who have shed their blood with the rest of the saints who have gone before us. Oh, what a beautiful sound. I wish, I wish on the side of heaven I could hear the worship rising up from earth. What a beautiful noise. It must be. C.S. Lewis refers to this as an appetite for God. That heart of praise that's revealed clearly in 150 is an appetite for God. Remember the first quote from the beginning, it would have been being eaten up with affection. Charles Spurgeon uses a phrase called the rapturous delight. Combine them, an appetite for God and a rapturous delight in God. Now we're beginning to feel it all the more. Both of these men, C.S. Lewis and Charles Spurgeon, are on that side of heaven saying, see, I knew, I knew what Psalm 150 was saying. I was right. Thank God. A pastor in heaven, grateful that he said the right thing. Derek Kidner uses this phrase, that it all comes to a sustained fortismo, fortissimo, sorry. Very loud ending and proclamation at the end of this, lifting up. God, lifting him up, very loud. Now, I remember a preacher years ago, Rick Gamash, and he was fairly new in Sovereign Grace Ministries, and he talked about the pulpit that was at a church that he was now leading was large, and the church is changing uh, to some degree, but also he was preaching more and more clearly on certain doctrines, and one of them was the doctrine of election. Hang in there. I don't want to lose you on this one because I hope the illustration serves. And he said it was almost as if he was grateful to have this big wooden pulpit because then he could say that God elects his people. <laughs> and then he could hide behind the big pulpit because what he was about to say was going to be hard to hear. Well, what I'm about to read from James Montgomery Boyce, I'm going to let him say it, and then I'm going to duck behind the pulpit. You ready? Buckle up. He writes this, let's be done with worship that is always weak and unexciting. I don't know where you find yourself. I would find myself in both categories often. Where do you find yourself? Let us be done with worship that is always weak and unexciting. I appreciate he qualifies it with the word. It doesn't mean every single worship. Don't send me an email about, are you saying it's all going to be loud like this last Sunday? It can't always be weak and unexciting. It must include strength and excitement. Do you not get that from the text? How do we get through verse 5, at least through verse 5, and not hear the volume increasing? The call to the weak sinner to come and to worship. Call to the strong, those that see clearly are not in suffering. Come, 
Come and praise Him. Wherever you are, come. Come and praise Him. Have we not been hearing this all summer long? God is great and greatly to be praised. I have needed this song. You need this song. The world needs this song because they're worshiping with strength and excitement. Someone else. You need this. I need this. They need this. Where, of all, where is all of this going? We don't have to go very far. Just go just like an, in my Bible, maybe about an inch through the thick pages to Revelation 7, 9 through 12. If you would turn there if you want, but I'm going to begin to read while you go there. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around, uh, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is where it's all going. Can you imagine what it must already sound like in heaven? This is where it's already going, unbound, unhindered, unleashed worship and praise to Him. It must be so. How can I say it must be so? One, His Word tells us it must be so. But here comes another one. Are you ready? Buckle up. Derek Kidner writes this for us. His glory fills the universe. His praise must do no. Less. So served me. I needed to hear Kidner's quote from the psalm. His glory fills the universe. His praise must do, his praise must do no less. Yes, we are instructed about gatherings and worship by Paul. Please, this is not a call for you to be unorderly. This is not a call for you to cast off orthodoxy. But let our doxology, let our real understanding and study of worship, let it be grown by this theology of a great God who has saved a desperate sinner like me. Let our worship be lifted up and moved forward to what the Lord has called us. God has not come in Psalm 150 and moved the line for us. In other words, it's not as if the line was always just like right here. You can just, just come right here. That's good. Okay. Now that you understand the gospel a little bit more, I'm going to move the line. Now worship here. That's not what's going on. That line of amazing, noisy worship of God declaring His glory was always fixed from the beginning. He fills the universe. Our worship is just coming further and closer to that line. And he's made it so for sinners. 
We're sons and daughters now. We should be driven as far back from that line as possible. But in Christ, He has brought us near. We hear out of Hebrews 4, we can draw with confidence near the throne of grace. Come. Psalm 150 says that line, that line is beautiful. It's bigger and further and louder than you can imagine. But the distance has been covered by Christ. The inability you had before has been met by the power of Christ in him. You can come, throw yourselves at the feet of God and thank him for his great salvation. Come, come to that line. So I've already preached into point four. Where are we to praise him everywhere? Why are we to praise him for all that he has done and for who he is? And how are we to praise him? Praise him with the whole band. Praise him with everything. But who is called? You and I are called. By the time we get to here to verse 6, it says, let everything, in verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So it's not like you and I are like, yep, that's right. That means you and you. And it does. It does include us being able to say, yes, you. The psalm is if the psalmist would stand here and look at you and me and say, you. You. You have breath from God. He breathed into you. Praise Him. Scripture comes to mind from the Old Testament is, if you will not, I'll raise up the rocks to praise me. Meaning, He won't have to do that. His Savior is coming to make it all possible. The day is coming and has come. This word that we have here in verse 6, this everything that has breath is actually one word. It literally means all breath. Let all breath praise Him. In another sense, all living, all living creatures. Praise Him. Are you alive? That should be an simple answer if you're in this room. Praise Him. Are you alive? Have you been given breath? Praise Him. Come to Him. Who is called to praise Him? You are called. I am called. Do you see it? Do you see it now? Where will we praise Him? Well, we'll praise Him in Jesus, who is the temple. He is the sanctuary, and He rules the mighty heavens. Praise Him there. Why will we praise Him? Jesus is the ultimate answer and reason for our praise. Praise Him for that reason. Praise Him for Him. How will we praise Him? Jesus did not hold anything back, and He gave Himself up for us, even to the point of death on a cross. We'll meet Him there, even to your death, and to our point on our cross. Praise Him there. Who will praise Him? You and I, Jesus people. That's a simple answer. I'm going to leave it with you. Who is called to praise Him? Jesus people are called to praise Him. You may be present this morning and have not believed in Christ. Here's the second appeal. Join the band. Jump in with a bunch of strange at times Jesus people, but not because you finally think it's neat to be with us. It's because you need to be with God. Become a Jesus person. 
by believing in Christ and turning from your sins. Church, if I could have the band, please. Here's my encouragement to us as we end this. We can't just muster up. Okay, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to do this. Don't just set out to determine to be better at worshiping God. Human determination is not sufficient. But you and I have been given a power of God. Jesus himself says, it is better that I leave because the Father and I will send the Holy Spirit. Until we're in heaven, you and I need to be made able and willing to worship and to praise him. If not, we're just going to hear it. We're going to give it a try for a while, and we're going to turn right around, and we're going to walk right back into doing whatever we were doing before. But the joy of the gospel is you and I have been granted a power in God. So here's my encouragement to you. Make Psalm 150 your devotion. As you read, Jesus breathed his last. All you who have breath, praise the Lord. Remembering, he breathed his last. And then he breathed again so that you and I could turn and breathe out our praises of him. Join me and do what I so desperately need is add Psalm 150. Add Psalm 150 to our theology of worship. Let your worship be noisy. Now I'm going to do something for us because the psalmist does this for us. If I could have everyone stand, and with your Bibles in hand, and with the last verse of the book of Psalms, let's together read out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, these words in Psalm 150, verse 6. Together. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.